hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Albert Shin, a filmmaker whose credits include producing Igor Jelka's The Waiting Room and The Stone Speakers, and writing and directing his own features Point Traverse and In Her Place. His third film, Disappearance at Clifton Hill, stars Tuppence Middleton as a young woman returning home to Niagara Falls, haunted by the memory of witnessing an abduction decades earlier. If that's really what happened. It premiered at TIFF last fall under the title Clifton Hill, and opens across Canada and the U.S. this Friday, February 28th. It's also available on digital platforms in the U.S. on the same day. Albert picked Memories of Murder, the second feature from obscure Korean writer-director Bong Joon-ho. I mean, maybe you've heard of him? Sixteen years before Parasite conquered the world and the Oscars, this masterful study of three policemen hunting a serial killer in South Korea in the late 80s and early 90s was the movie that launched him onto the global film scene, an adaptation of a stage play itself inspired by actual events that turns the murder procedural inside out to reveal a rich, complex canvas of mismatched individuals struggling to find a cunning, relentless monster who almost certainly walks among them. It's also Bong's first collaboration with leading man Song Kang-ho, with whom he'd reunite in The Host, Snowpiercer, and Parasite. And it may be their finest work, which you'll have a chance to discover when Memories of Murder joins the Criterion Collection later this year, after languishing in obscurity for almost a decade in the West. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This is someone else's movie. Memories of Murder came into a a time where... um, It was interesting for me, where I was... It was, I think it was... 2003 and it was a it was a big the film was a big deal when it came out in korea it was like a sensation and i was really really down on korean films at the time my parents particularly were like you know you should watch korean films you know they're they're very you know uh they've been in canada for 40 years but they're very nationalistically korean sure um but um and i was just like you know what these films aren't good they're just not good they're not good and i was just being very stubborn and very ignorant about it, to, to be quite frank. Well, yeah, I was going to say, had you seen the new wave at that time? Because there really weren't that many. No, it was like the Attack it was, gas station would have just come out. I think it's the only one I can think. Yeah, of. it was the inf- and and you know, t- in two thousand and three, it was quite a watershed year in terms of that's when Old Boy came out at mm-hmm. uh, I think premiered at Cannes, then I think Memories of Murder premiered at uh, Venice, I think. Yeah. Um, and it Sounds really good. was um, something that. Uh, and when I saw it, you know, I think I saw it because at the time, I think the way you saw Korean films was they used to bootleg them somehow. And then you'd go to Koreatown and they would have these bootleg. Uh, I think at the time it may still have been VHS tapes because oh that God. was the way they were bringing them in. Um, and so and I saw it and it really it really uh, made a, it, it made a mark. It definitely made a mark. And it was my it was my introduction to like the new Korean wave. And through that, you know, obviously there's uh, Yi Chang-dong and Park Chang-wook and, and Bong Joon-ho, among others. And I just think to this day, it, it, I've always had a strange fascination with uh, sort of uh, serial killers and true crime and that kind of thing. It's just a, a natural thing that I've been into. And sure. I, mean, uh, I think everybody who grew up at a certain point in like the, the TV landscape, right? Because CSI, Law & Order, there, there's always been something that stresses fictional crime. And then you yeah. just realize, oh, this stuff really happens and it's even worse and weirder. We... We develop an instinct. Yeah, yeah, we develop an instinct, and I and I, I don't know where it comes from, um, but you know I used to love like A and E's, like American Justice, and just like things that were like uh, steeped in uh, in true crime. It was like very I was so into it, and then this one, um, but I'm you know I'm I was such a cinema guy and and, and a cinephile or or a wannabe cinephile that to couple just my natural instinct and sort of true crime with just. A savant level of filmmaking yeah. was, the, I think, the thing. But that was the synergy that really got me, and it really made me realize that, um, you know, he, and the thing about Bong Joon Ho is that he's always worked in genre, you know, and genre maybe less so nowadays, but especially then, it, like it, genre always got kind of a bad rap, or it was always sort of, you know, is it, it was a lower tier, uh, quote unquote, sure, in yeah. a lot of ways, especially during that time, and then you know. Old Boy and Memories of Murder, to me, it really, you know, that was sort of the heyday of, wow, it was the most exciting world cinema at the time. These these Koreans are making these movies that are just crazy and so interesting and so inventive and and unafraid, to be quite honest, and just doing things and pushing boundaries that you couldn't do here. And I think there was an interest from the audience from here. But then it was the filmmaking itself that, for me, I always kind of uh, gravitate towards, and they satisfied that 
part of my brain uh, immensely. So through that, that's how I sort of discovered Memories of Murder and and then, you know, his next, his follow-up, uh, Mother, which was also, you know, I guess uh, sort of, a, I think his ode to kind of Hitchcockian kind of uh, uh, like a like a vertigo or something like that yeah. in my mind. And, it's a combination of wrong man thriller and yeah. vertigo thriller, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, I've just been a big fan ever since and you know, and Parasite, you know, if there's any, for me, if there's any world cinema uh, director or filmmaker to kind of get this kind of uh, praise and exposure at this point, you know, I'm glad that it's him. Yeah, I, I'm just so over the moon. I did not think it was going to happen. Yeah. I, I, some part of me kept thinking, okay, maybe he'll get screenplay. Maybe he'll get director. Mm-hmm. There's no way. There's no way they embrace this. But then, of course, you forget that people respond to a good movie period and I guess maybe the rank balloting system or however their the new yeah. changes work favored actual pleasure enjoyment you know like 1917 which became the front runner based on the uh, I guess the idea that it was very serious and very effortful mm-hmm. uh, the what I was calling the interview two rule where you know if you keep telling people how hard it was to make your movie <laughs> they have to respect how hard right. it was yeah and you know it's fine Mm-hmm. I have nothing against 1917, but it's fine. But but Parasite is just so satisfying and pleasurable and horrifying, and and it's you know it's everyone was saying it at the same time, which is kind of great. I don't feel like I'm alone in this, but it's mm-hmm. like I finally can point to something and say, no, that's what he does. Yeah, because everyone would say, like, what's the host? What's Mother? What's um, Snowpiercer? How do you explain Okja to people who haven't mm-hmm. seen it? And you just have to say it is everything. It's it's a it's a it's a a range of feeling and and tension and format and style and it all somehow feels organic to itself and unique and now there is like there's just there's a a Bong Joon Ho film that's yeah. what that is yeah yeah and and it won so shut up <laughs> yeah exactly and and I mean you know better late than never and obviously sure. you know he's been putting it like I mean Snowpiercer and Okja were obviously English, you know, mostly English language sure, productions. Yeah. So he, it's not like he was a complete unknown who was a superstar in Korea, but nobody had really known. And then Parasite just kind of blew up out of nowhere. Obviously, it right. did, it did, pen, it, it, it did become part of the zeitgeist. But um, he has just been one of the best filmmakers for twenty years, yeah. you know. And and not that validation from the Academy is important in that sense, but. It really does what it does, and I think the reason why people are so excited for it for for many reasons, other than the fact that it's it's a, like a stone cold masterpiece, yeah. is that is that this is a filmmaker that has never deviated from what he does and is really a craftsman and a, and a storyteller. You know, sometimes those aren't uh, you know those aren't together, but sure, yeah. and and he just makes films that really speak to why in my mind why cinema is important and like you know it's it's, it's all highfalutin and everything about this like a tour idea of you know a Pong joon film is a Pong joon film and unlike anything else yeah, yeah. you know and th- I think for filmmakers or aspiring filmmakers or people that are just trying to make movies it's it really is inspiring to know that something like that you can make something like that and it can be recognized and and I think sometimes you know um you just need, sometimes you just need North Stars, you know, when you're on the journey of trying to do this thing that's really hard, which is make movies or whatever your field is. And this film, I think, is a North Star for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put it, too. You can simply point to it. Yeah. Like it you is, can s- it's a thing that it, it's, it's, un, it's inarguable. It's undeniable. Yeah. And I think the reason why people, I mean, I guess if you're cynical, you could point to, you know, some sort of PC movement or something like that of finally trying to recognize a foreign language film or whatever. But I think, I think that isn't enough. You know what I mean? I think, I think it really spoke to people and it really just captivated them. And it was undeniable, like the sheer joy of watching a movie that's so well-crafted where you're just wrapped up into it, where it continually surprises you. Yeah. Um, and, and also wrapped up in a way where, you know, it's very subversive in, in terms of, like, the, its message and how it's trying. And, and it's a very universal message, especially in this day and age. So that existed in Parasite. And, you know, for my money, like, it definitely existed in Memories of Murder. Yeah. And Memories of Murder, 
is it's interesting that uh, Bong Joon-ho talks about how Parasite. I remember when he was sort of, I don't know, tempering expectations, but he kept saying that oh, Parasite has no chance of winning the Palme d'Or because it's very regional. It's very it's so specific to Korea. Like I'm afraid no one else in the world is gonna get it. Sure. Or, and obviously that turned out to be the opposite. The, like he was. Um, the opposite of the case, but with Memories of Murder, it's definitely playing with like the serial killer genre and 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 a thriller and the thriller mystery uh, uh, universe. But it is so specifically Korean, and for me, the the I get a double. I, and I don't know how it is for people that aren't uh, Korean, but it it's its characterizations are so specifically Korean that I can all I can do is smile at. Just all of it, the, just the, the misogyny, the sort of the, the regionalism, like all of that stuff that that film touches on, and especially during that time, which in the film it takes place during the sort of the military rule in the 80s. Yeah, I had, I have to admit, I had completely forgotten about that yeah, factor. It, and it's, and like he doesn't overplay it. No, it's, it's I mean, it, it took me, I think, half an hour into the film watching it again this week was to realize like, oh, right, that's going on. Because there, there's little moments of people listening to the radio yeah. and they're preparing for demonstrations and uh, the, the blackouts. And at one point, I think the reason the... Um, yeah, when the... A crucial moment about two-thirds of the way through where the song plays on the radio and everyone yeah. has to scramble to find to find out where the next murder is about to happen. They can't get a single soldier because both garrisons are yeah. busy quelling pro-democracy protesters. Right. Which was, you know, in Korea, which, which was a huge deal. You know, the thing about Korea, which is interesting, is that... Um, yeah, that movie was made in 2003, but the, its authenticity, just in terms of my, um, I spent a lot of time, not in the mid 80s, because I was, you know, I was born in the <laughs> mid early 80s, but in the early 90s, you know, I would spend every summer in Korea. And so that Korea that is represented there is very similar to the one that I, is from my youth and my childhood. And it's, and his attention to detail, you know, and is really, really just really, really strong. And just, yeah, like like I was saying, the characterization and and sort of he's playing with, you know, he's playing with kind of archetypes of kinds of the kinds of, you know, like the, like the, the he has the, Song gang the main detective, has a, his sidekick who's like incredibly violent and mm-hmm. has a short fuse. Yeah, and just and, looking for a chance to flying yeah, kick someone. Yeah, and it, it could feel like a caricature for sure. And he's playing on that but it, it it's actually incredibly accurate okay. how people are like that in Korea and that when I was growing up that I saw that everywhere and so for him to take it to the line of it being sort of um, and the, the genius about him is that he kind of makes it comical um, even though it, it, there's nothing really comical about it but the, his, his deft hand at being able to do both things at the same time is as a filmmaker is the, is the thing that I think probably most other filmmakers beyond everything else marvel at the way he can balance tone is as someone who tries to do it all the time is the hardest one of the hardest things to do in movies i can only imagine just i mean simply you know it's one thing to have it on the set it's another thing to have it in the script and then to finally cut it together in a way that balances i mean there's just uh there's a moment in in memories of murder that that is hysterically funny and incredibly sad at the same time and it's a flying kick it's yeah. the one in the middle where he just launches himself into frame <laughs> yeah. during this horrifying confrontation <laughs> yeah. it's like how am I laughing this, the tension is still there Yeah. but to to set that up to know that this is the button that yeah, this, this is, is the, the thing that's going to work Yeah. to sell the laugh I, he's just he's remarkable I have yet to actually meet him but I've interviewed people who've worked with him and they all say the same thing which is that he knows exactly what he wants and it's a question of expressing it yeah. just, you have to understand what he wants and if you execute it that's it's perfect yeah and you know and I guess like a maybe like an American comparison of that you know like uh, like the Coen brothers for instance they sure. have a certain uh, language that they use a lot of times most of the times in their films and you're, you're either you can play in that lane or you can't and if you can you, you obviously they use certain actors again and again sure. and whatever genre that they're working in there's a there's a cohen-esque thing that they can do and bong joon definitely has that and the thing about him is that he's because he's more reckless you know it's it's an interesting combination uh of what looks like reckless abandon but incredible control in terms of what he's doing which when you watch it it's like this is not just like he's just free forming and he's like a great freestyle rapper and can just you know make 
just make moments happen. It's like everything is very, very controlled, what he's doing, but the way he goes about it and sort of the the chaos or, you know, that he can sort of uh, control and present is really, really fascinating. And, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> well, and, and Memories of Murder now in the rearview mirror looks even more, I mean, it certainly, it predicts, it, what is it? Four years behind ahead of Zodiac, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, because now I can point to it and say, "Oh no, no, it's a Zodiac." Yeah. you'll understand. And yeah. and this guy was even called the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. yeah, it just never comes up in the movie, right? Um, but it manages to touch on all of those same things: the the obsession, the ambiguity, the sheer horror of never knowing. Yeah, um, and then to give you the relief, but but it does something that Zodiac doesn't do, which is that unbelievable shattering final shot. Yeah, which should not work at all yes uh yes. especially to me who is not part of the culture like i yeah. don't have any of the baggage that the audience would have had in yeah. korea and it just i forgot it was there and it gutted me just just yeah. i mean boom right out of the screen yeah um and it's just and it's so tossed off it doesn't even last long enough to resonate i yeah. mean again he just knows it'll work he knows it'll work and that is and that's obviously you know um, when you're making movies a lot of it is all the decisions you make before you get to the day. And one of the big ones is this was his first collaboration with with Song Gang-ho, that, mm-hmm. that actor who is, you know, Korea's, you know, for my money, Korea's greatest actor. Most Koreans would probably say the same thing as well, which is, you know, he is such a chameleon, but he is such a, you know, he's kind of, you know, every, you know, you read like sort of the American reviews of that film and, you know, he's kind of playing like the dopey doofus yeah, a lot detective. Of people called him a buffoon. Yeah, like which... a buffoon, which, you know, he's, there's a little bit of that, but, but the calibration of what he's doing as an actor and, you know, with, with Pong's, you know, direction is a marvel to behold. And, you know, he plays, you know, for people that know his work, like he, he has played everything. He's played Kings to... To monsters, the to yeah. monsters to the biggest doofuses in 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 movies, to, and everything in between, and he is, you know, and he is also Korea's most revered and most sort of famous actor. So you know, it'd be like, you know, it's like a Philip Seymour Hoffman or something. Where you look at him, he's not like the the model, beautiful kind of traditional movie star, but because his because his talents are so undeniable, you know. Korea sees him as Korea's greatest actor, you yeah. know, and when his films come out, people go to see it because of him, you know, and it's, it's like that thing where usually in America or North America, like those kinds of actors are, are the character actors. And sometimes they get, you know, juicy roles, but it's, you know, it's always, it's going to be Will Smith or somebody yeah. else. That's the lead. It's and, not perceived that, yeah, you know, Paul Giamatti can open a movie. Exactly. And he is, and he can do that. He's so he's, he's in a unique position right now where he can, like he's at the yeah he's at the peak of his power and and that film I think was just a perfect example of where he gets to do so much and and without him and everything and that sort of like and that's and that incredible windy journey that you've taken with him and I think that's the culmination like it's 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 Bong's like risk of ending a movie in that way which for people who haven't seen the film I don't want to spoil it but it's I mean it's a very bold and it absolutely and it is. can definitely blow up in your face you know as a filmmaker I would be like well let's do the alternate ver- let's do an alternate version as well yeah and um, I've seen four or five movies where it does not work it does not same work. exact trick the same exact trick yeah false totally flat totally flat so you know everything is about you know I'm a big believer in that filmmaking you know it's like like the last 10% it's the things in the margins that you do that kind of make the things in the center work, you know? And he is a... And, and yeah, he's a perfect example of that. And, and Memories of Murder is a perfect example of that, which is that, yeah, what you think about is, like, if I directed Memories of Murder or if a lesser filmmaker than Bong Joon-ho directed Memories of Murder, what would Memories of Murder be? And, you know, I don't know because we don't have quantifiable proof of it, but I would think it would be considerably more... Uh, you know, derivative and kind of and yeah. and less and less what the specificity that a filmmaker can bring and that's the stuff uh, like the margins is it's the wrong terminology but it's that thing that a filmmaker a specific filmmaker can bring to a piece of work that makes it something that's truly special and I think all of his films and you know for me like I love Bong Joon Ho and I love all of his films but but I like some of his films more than others and some of them you know are like not my favorite of his but. What he always brings is 
like like what we've been talking about, which is this very specific Pong Jungo uh, uh, ethos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess is the word. People have described his filmmaking, I'm sure I have too, as idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. But I think that just means that we don't know what to call it. And what we're really trying to say is that it simply sees... I mean, if I was asked to describe his particular approach, it would simply be that he sees people, and it's not just his leads. He sees everyone. He mm-hmm. gives everyone, if not a moment of dignity, because that's certainly not the case with all of his films, but mm-hmm. he, he allows us to understand who they are and why they are who they are. Right. Um, I think about I think about Song in, in The Host, yeah. who is someone who is slow to act, but... Mm-hmm absolutely committed and then mm-hmm. you over the course of the film you just understand that he feels outclassed by everyone around him and mm-hmm. he has internalized that mm-hmm. um or jake gyllenhaal in, in okja which is you know it's a big performance yeah but it's somebody who you can see him cracking every time he's yeah. so sad and broken mm-hmm. this despair is radiating out of him but he's turned it into energy yeah and you just come away thinking i, I would watch that guy i, I don't need the super pigs or, or I don't yeah. need the monster. I just want to see that person exist for another two hours. Yeah. And and here too. I mean, everyone gets a story. Yeah, everyone gets a story. And even just as a... Even just to kind of go a little bit more foundational in the just the, just the screenplay itself and how kind of meticulous it is and how deceptively meticulous it is, which like the way he sets things up and the way he pays them off, and sometimes it's you know with like specific story beats, like he he introduces a like a student character that pay, that that has a that has a sort of an, a payoff in in her arc yeah. later on in the film, and those are kind of like screenplay things that you can see. But just in terms of the like the, his visual motifs and how he can craft an entire set piece about you know like I can only because sometimes I'll do this exercise where it's like how this scene on paper. What does it read like? And, you know, if it wasn't for the way it was directed, how does it, how does it read? How does it play? And what are the studio notes? Or your, when you show it to your f- filmmaker friends, be like, can you read the screenplay? And being like, what is this? And, like, and a big one is, you know, there's a huge set piece at, that takes place in like a rock quarry, which is incredibly done. And, it, and the payoff of it is like the way it's set up is really sublime and it's it's almost obvious you know when you see it it's like oh wow that's so easy and simple and clever but not you know he's not he's not doing gymnastics trying to come up with something to make it like snappy and interesting it's just the way he sets it up the way he pays it off is really sublime and i think the screenplay works in that way and then when you couple that with a filmmaker that can match that with his sort of directing prowess it is um it's, I think for me, even if you don't work in the genre space or you don't want to make a film that's about a serial killer or a mystery film, the things as a, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, the things you can learn about storytelling, because what he is first and foremost is a filmmaker. He tells films through the, like the moving image and he is one of the best at it. You know, there's always people, you know, people bring up like Spielberg, who's a great, who's great at blocking. Like when you watch a Spielberg block a scene, you're like, wow. And like, there's definitely truth to that when you see some of the stuff that he's done over the years. Sure, yeah. But in that same way, Pong Jung-ho, he is, he is in his bone marrow, a filmmaker where he is using every tool that a filmmaker is given to, to paint his canvas. And it's, it is, it's really exhilarating to watch. And so when I watch it, you know, I've must've seen it 10 times, you know, in my life. But every time you watch it, it's it's the thrill of him doing things that at this point, because I know the story beats, sure, yeah. but it really is the the thrill of how he achieves things that still gets me every single time. Yeah, well, and that's... I laugh at things that, you know, he does. He, he, and like, you know, I when I was rewatching it again, it, it did it to me again, which is, you know, I don't laugh at jokes again. Like once I know the joke or something, I, it's really hard for me to like laugh at it again sure. a perfect example of that would be i'm getting a little off script but when i saw force majeure the 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 first force majeure right um i had never laughed so loud in my life but the second time i watched it like i i really enjoyed it and i really loved that movie but like the laughs i didn't i didn't laugh at it the way i laughed at it the the that kind of like gut well sure yeah laugh because the element of surprise is gone. the element of surprise is gone but there's something about memories of murder that get it like the things that he's the effect like a laugh or a thing that it, it just works every single time and i found myself 
kind of smiling, chuckling at things that I smile and chuckle at every time <laughs> I watch it, which is, yeah, another amazing, yeah, just just an amazing, amazing film. Like Ken Ho falling out of the cupboard. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. That, that I mean, gets me every time. Yeah. Even though it, it, the first time I saw it theatrically and everyone went, <clears throat> it's a shock. <laughs> yeah. And now it's just, oh, of course, that's right. That's where he hides. Yeah. Because he just doesn't know not to. And it it's funny, but it also sets up everything else about him, which is all these misfiring intentions and and that that's a that's a leap i mean a a, a mentally challenged developmentally challenged character mm-hmm. um 20 years on feels uncomfortable at the time i remember it just sort of rolled past everyone else this is a character in this village yeah yeah and you know what and the thing is that he, you know obviously the film in a lot of ways and he's speaking to a time so i think he, the film is actually incredibly ahead of its time because if you if for people that know korean cinema korean cinema is incredibly transgressive for the most part it's it's incredibly brutal it's a lot of times very it's not kind to uh women or or any sort of marginalized group at all yeah that's you know my experience yeah it's not it it's it doesn't show a lot or even if it does show sympathy it's usually through some sort of misery porn angle literally sympathy for mr vengeance yeah i mean that's kind of the yeah exactly and but for him like yeah he's He's reflecting the way things were at the time, but I think because of the care that he puts into these characters, and I think the way he, like you said before, like there's sympathy for these characters, even for like the, even for the ones that aren't very sympathetic. There's a strange pathos that he can conjure with these people that I think is in, like you know incredibly ahead of its time, especially in Korean cinema, which that's not even to this day is not exactly what it's known for yeah you know and and there are things that in my mind i think he's doing there's a comment on which is um a thing that i've always brought up and i say to all my korean filmmaker friends is that there is a motif that is very prevalent in memories of murder as well but there's a payoff to it which is every i've watched family films that i've watched g-rated family films in korea that are korean to the most brutal, uh, you know, I saw the devil right. Korean films. And there is always a motif of stomping and kicking. Koreans love stomping and kicking in movies. It's just, it's in every Korean film I've ever seen. Even ones that you would never think it would, it, the most Snow White movie. And somehow, some way, they'll work in a stomping and kicking sequence. Okay. And, you know, Memories of Murder obviously has... Um, its fair share of stomping and kicking. Yes. And rarely justified. <laughs> rarely justified. But I mean, there is a story payoff to the stomping and kicking that I think is, you know, for me, I think it's an interesting comment on that, <laughs> you know, and not that he's saying something about literally stomping and kicking, but I think there is something about, uh, Korea's, you know, called uh, like Korea's stance on violence. And, it, you know, Korea has a very violent history, obviously. And, especially in the 80s, you know, even to this day, but, like, in, especially in the 80s, where, you know, they, they it was a very violent time, you know, and and they and they were not that removed. They were only one generation removed from, from the Korean War, which had a very devastating effect on that country. Sure, yeah. And, you know, the... And it, it just, for me, it's... I think his... The way he plays with social commentary, and, you know, a lot of people are bringing it up for Parasite as well, but it's really in all of his films, is, I think... Because there's a there's a slyness and a sleight of hand to the way he does it, I think it, it a it goes down easier for people a lot of ways, and um, it's uh, it kind of it kind of worms its way in your head and you think about it. Maybe even if you're not thinking about it in political or social terms, just it it's, it sticks with you in a strange way. So yeah. well, yeah. and certainly the people who are doing most of the punching and stomping and kicking in this film are abusing that authority. Yes, they're. Yeah, they're frustrated, they're angry, and we can sympathize with them to a point, but then mm-hmm. they're also sort of... I mean, again, it, it becomes a running gag, just the casual torturing of prisoners yeah. to get them to confess to things that they are almost certainly not guilty of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is... Yeah, and to, and to play that... To play that for, you know, laughs, but also, you know, it's multi-tiered. You play it for sort of revealing character, and, sure. and, and, and like we just talked about... There's sort of a, an emotional and sort of story payoffs to all these kinds of all the torturing and all sort of the, like you said the casual violence that the movie sort of employs. Um, I mean, to the point where the chief kicks someone's legs yeah. from under him as a comic moment. Yeah, as a comic moment. But that, we're still furious. Yeah, 
that yeah and yeah it, and it lands i don't know yeah. it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy i don't know how yeah i don't know how he does it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in that case um let's see i'm trying not to spoil it for people who haven't seen it because i know it's been out of circulation for a while mm-hmm. uh but there is a character who loses a leg mm-hmm. which feels to me pretty symbolic mm-hmm. yeah um, but on at least on at least two levels right? yeah and it's simply the result of uh, machismo. Like yeah. He just doesn't go to the doctor because it's just a scratch. Yeah. And this happens. Mm-hmm. And which also, that moment weirdly grounded me in time in a way that a lot of the rest of the film does. And it could, I mean, there are rotary phones and mm-hmm. there are a few signifiers, but it could be taking place in 1997. It doesn't sure. like, yeah. have to be 1986. Yeah. yeah. But then you remember, oh, that's right. Tetanus was a, like, it was a thing 30 years ago, even in certain yeah. parts of the world where the, mm-hmm. the vaccine just wasn't popular. Yeah. And yeah, how how shocking to see that movie now and just realize, oh yeah, that's what happened to him. Right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that yeah it, yeah, and and it really and you know he's in in a lot of ways in terms of the uh, the hero side of things is the most unsympathetic character. Yeah. But you feel really, you know, because obviously without ever stating anything, I mean, there's some throwaway casual lines of dialogue where like obviously he's had a very hard life, whoever this character is, yeah. and that's clearly informed how he works out his angers or frustrations or how he goes about his job. And, you know, sort of the last payoff of him, which is just like, you know, without giving anything away, he's like sitting on a kind of a hospital bed about to go into surgery. Mm-hmm. And it, it's weirdly effective. And I feel real. I felt, I feel really, really bad for him, you know, mm-hmm. and like, almost like he wasn't, he was never given a chance, you know? And yeah, it's, it's, um, and, and I think, and ultimately, I think that's what grounds, and I think that's why people are responding to Parasite, because for all the uh, all the filmmaking bravado that he exemplifies, it really, ultimately, it's it's it, you know, it's story and character and people's uh, and people's uh, connection to those things, and I think that's all. Ultimately, every story, whether it's film or book or music or anything, like that's what people respond to. And if he didn't have that, if he was only just a, a stylist, you know, then it doesn't it doesn't resonate the same way, you know, like, um, like girl with the dragon tattoo or whatever, you know, something like that, which is, you know, all, every version of it, even the Fincher version or the Swedish version is a, they're beautifully crafted. They're intricate mysteries and doing sort of all the same things. And they have a character that, you know, you know, on paper, you know, she's damaged and you know, she, you know, there's all this sort of subtext to everything that's happening, but it doesn't have, I think what it doesn't have is that death touch that he brings that just makes a, a thing like that really resonate and and you feel it like you know what I mean I felt really really bad for him you know at that point in the film sure and the film had given no reason for me to feel bad for him you know so I think that's the magic trick yeah. well we yeah. see him as a person well as a, more importantly as a human being mm-hmm. um, all of the villains and most of the good guys in the Salander films and in the novels are just there to hurt her yeah right? I mean they only exist to give her righteous vengeance yeah to to receive their right their punishment and mm-hmm. so first we i i remember both versions of the film both both adaptations of the first novel mm-hmm. are just so intent on showing you her assault and yeah. her humiliation and her rage and i get it but at the same time there's no uh, there's no complexity to the to the uh, narrative. Yeah, it's, and I think and I think that's the thing. It's it's all about you know we were talking about kind of tone and really trying to walk that line that that Pong Joon Ho does because if you don't then it, yeah it, it's there's a it's lacking a certain deafness that a movie that is really it which really is life and death in a movie in terms of like if it works or not or how it works and not necessarily content and like you were saying like it's yeah there's so much in for 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 the dragon tattoo films um yeah it really is um um obviously going for like a visceral reaction you know like sure. you know you know in the i'm thinking about both versions of the first film like you know her rape scene for instance like you know they're going for they're going for the jugular in terms of like really affecting you in terms of how they how they present it and show it and like the length that they show it for and, and everything else but um but yeah and i think and you know and memories of murder is is equally as violent you know and it's equally but it's it's something about uh pulling you in through sort of the comedy through some of the idiosyncrasies of the film and and um that i think 
it, 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 it frames your mind in a different way when you're watching it. So then when he wants to go for a sort of an emotional effect, I think it hits you. It blindsides you in a way where it doesn't feel like you should be feeling it, but then you do. And then, yeah. it, and then it starts to tickle your, your heartstrings a little bit in a weird way. You know, yeah. you feel kind of, you feel you're i think you're aware of the feeling more you know when when that when it happens like that yeah well we're disarmed for sincerity yeah right because mm-hmm. we don't we don't expect it to hit exactly at yeah. all. we don't expect it to be there yeah. uh just the i mean again that opening tracking shot of people slipping over the sides yeah. of the of the road over mm-hmm. and over and over again yeah it's funny and there's a corpse in front of us yeah it still somehow gives us permission to laugh at the casual accidents and it's the same way that um yeah, the, I mean, the Jessica song in Parasite has become a meme because yeah. it's adorable, mm-hmm. but it also shows us how polished and practiced these people are at doing the thing they do. Yeah. So you can respect them yeah. at the same time as you can laugh with... I mean, we're invited to laugh with them in the same way we're invited to laugh at the misfortunes of the people and sort of ignore the fact that the greater misfortune is this murdered woman. Right. Uh, but it also... I noticed a few people... Uh, I was reading up on some Western reviews just to see how it was received... And a lot of people mention Silence of the Lambs because of the forensic sequence. Right. Which I guess I sort of see. I mean, there's nothing else to compare it to. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's... But the thing about the Silence of the Lambs that is so powerful is that it is a young woman watching a young woman's autopsy. Mm-hmm. And this is absent here. Yeah. This is about the men just sort of casually picking this corpse apart, who mm-hmm. is a woman, who has yeah. been violated as well as murdered. Mm-hmm. And we're just allowed to sort of watch that dynamic reassert itself where it's you know oh one piece two piece three piece and it's horrible yeah but we i get the gallows humor i understand why they're doing this to disconnect themselves but at the same time there is a woman who works with them there's a a, a younger woman who's a mm-hmm. um, constable i suppose yeah right? and there's that moment in the second in that that same scene we were talking about earlier where the, the this song sad letter mm-hmm. plays on the radio which is a trigger or mm-hmm. a signal and she says, I'll go down to the station myself. And every time I think, oh, my God, she's going to get it. Like, right. She's the victim. Yeah. And then I thought, no, that can't work. And, and I'm talking myself down, even though mm-hmm. I already know that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. But if it had happened, he set it up beautifully. It's yeah. just so perfectly believable that this behavior, this the, all of these decisions and them not thinking anything about her leaving mm-hmm. would lead to that. Yeah. And and this is where you know, this is where I know that, you know, Pong was, you know, even in in terms of sort of the way the film and the way the culture, quite frankly, the, the sort of the misogynistic element of it and, and how this film is really a comment on that yeah. and how he was quite progressive even then um, is, you know, like the way... You know, because there's all these like little side things where they get she's a con- she's just a constable, but they're always getting her to make coffee, yeah. and there's like all this stuff. But you know what? She's the one that if you watch the film, really, she's the one that gets all the real information. You know what I mean? She gets the radio song. She's the one that gets the information out of that sort of the woman that was the almost uh, mur- like the one that's is like obviously feeling the trauma of that. Yeah. And, you know, she's the one that the one that parses, away, yeah, right? she's the, the one that parses that out, and she you know she's a she's a very very important character, and, and like you know, and it's not. I, I, it's obviously very intentional that like there's so many scenes where like the men are bumbling around they're jump they're they're jumping on each other and their you know desks are flying and she's the one that is ultimately the one that's keeping the eye on the prize all yeah. the time and like doing the like thinking you know they're all the, those movies about you know thinking outside the box and there's two schools of thought like the you know the urban versus the rural you know, all those kind of, uh, like, sort of very front and center uh, thematic elements of the film. But, you know, she's the one that's sort of thinking outside of the box amongst all these detectives that are, you know, that are banging their head against the wall, which I thought is really, which is really great, you know, and it's really, and and obviously a comment on that because, you know, you know, Korea in a lot of ways are very, is very behind in that kind of sense. And in when the film was made, it was behind. And in the 80s, it was incredibly behind. So... Um, yeah, I just think just as a filmmaker, you know, while being living in the world that the film takes place in, but finding ways to make comments on that, I think is, you know, what storytelling is, you know, so it's, it's definitely, yeah, he's, 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 I think, yeah, he's always been ahead of his time. Yeah, it is. It feels like, I mean, we are in the new, we're in the new Korean cinema, we're in the new French extremities happening mm-hmm. right at the same time. There's this sudden wave of people pushing 
against the limitations of their own cultural cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, like French French horror was very uh, mm-hmm. non-existent, really. But mm-hmm. when it when it did exist, it was very staid and serene. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, almost as a correction after the genre land films of the seventies, mm-hmm. things were just exploitation and ridiculousness. Right. And then all of a sudden, everything is just gruesome and wet and violent. Yeah. And the same kind of explosion happened in Korea. Mm-hmm. But what was what were the 80s and 90s films like? I have I have almost no knowledge of them. Right. So, I mean, this is I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, what was he Because like not to? not that I'm a not that I'm a Korean cinema history buff, but I you know I know a little bit about Korean cinema and the way it worked and you know, in the late 90s early 2000s like they the the Korean government uh you know, enacted a, a screen quota system to kind of you know, build up a Korean film system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a time you know, sort of pre-military rule, or well, not pre-military rule, but sort of in the 50s and 60s, you know, there were certain auteurs that were, like, pushing boundaries, you know, being censored, but still making films anyways, and of that kind of era where, they, you know, there's actually some great kind of interesting films that were being made. Um, but then that kind of disappeared, and then sort of the American wave came in, and it was all American films, pretty much, or foreign language films, and that's what Koreans would watch. And so they tried to change that by enacting this uh, screen quota system uh, in the late 90s, mid 90s. And so what that did is, but because they didn't really know how to make movies, you know, like the the studio system wasn't, you know, now it's all very, it's a very vertical system where, you know, companies distribute, they exhibit, they produce, they, you know, it's, it's, they do everything. But before it was... They, they needed movies to be made and they didn't really know how to make them. So they entrusted filmmakers to just go for it. And, and when was this? And this was in the, this was right around this time in okay, the early so 2000s. This the start of it. So this was sort of the start of it where they needed movies on the screen. And because they didn't know any better, they let these filmmakers make movies. And that's, that's where all the great Korean, like, you know, when people think about Korean cinema, they think of, you know, Pong Jung Ho or they think of, uh, uh, Park Chang-wook or Lee Chang-dong you know they all made masterpieces and or you know in a little bit more of the margins like Kim Gi-duk who you know uh, he's doing his thing he's doing his thing um, but they all came out of this time where they let film where they entrusted filmmakers to just do what you do and through that they th- there was an explosion of really interesting filmmakers that were taking their frustrations in terms of what was happening in the world and like I said sort of this transgressive nature of sort of the Korean ethos at the time or even now and putting it into really adventurous cinema where there were, there were no rules. There were no like, Oh, this is too far. You're taking this too far. You can't do this. You're not, people won't want to see this. Like they didn't have those rules because they didn't really know. So through that, they, all these amazing filmmakers kind of came out of it, which unfortunately in the last five to 10 years has been stifled because now it's so, the opposites happen now. They have formulas, and now they know what works. And now, like it's all just top-down yeah. executive orders of how you need to make a film. So they've taken the power away from filmmakers, and that is the reason why. You know, my biggest complaint has been, you know, where is the next Pong Jung Ho? You know, like where is the next Park Chang Wook out of Korea? They don't exist, and the reason why they, it doesn't exist is, in, in my opinion, it's not because they don't they're not there. It's because they're really being stifled, sort of by this extreme studio system that has kind of is a result of the success of movies like Memories of Murder and Old Boy and some of these other films that, you know, people recognize. And so um, it's really interesting to to watch, you know, a, um, when sometimes, I guess it's my argument for when you let filmmakers just do the things that yeah. they do, you know, you, you get movies that are, are very specific and they're very regional like you know old boy or memories of murder like those are very korean films even if they're playing with uh you know genre tropes or whatever that people recognize around the world they're so specifically korean and and they work and i've always been of a believer of like you know the more specific something is the more universal it is sure, and yeah. and that really really i think reflects and the the, the films that were kind of coming out during that time and oh, you know, it's and like it's just like that groundwork obviously is kind of bearing fruit in like the biggest way was with Parasite or something like that. But it's um, yeah, it's it's such an adventurous cinema that in the last few years, unfortunately, has been sort of 
has been really, really stifled, I feel. So yeah. Parasite is, uh, even in Korea, is sort of a, is sort of a, a, a huge breakthrough. But at the same time, um, when you're a filmmaker of that caliber, so filmmakers that are of that era, they have a license that yeah, the new filmmakers a, do not. Exactly, obviously. he'll be allowed to do whatever. Yeah, I mean. and he's always been allowed to do whatever he wants because he has that built from you know his when he first emerged but sure. and now international backing as well yes yeah, exactly American stuff yeah so I, I wonder if maybe the next step is to just force mentors you know just get uh do what do what the tfca does with the clyde gilmore award and designate yeah. someone yeah uh, as your as your beneficiary when you win a prize yeah and just you know um the filmmakers who are, are making the whaling or train to basan yeah. or um yeah those... the most recent one extreme job which uh is this i never saw that no, one no but... everybody missed it it played for I mean, it was one of those standard four walls for a week mm-hmm. at oh, the, okay. uh, i think welgo released it actually but it was dumped into the young and dundas cineplex right it's great oh wow and what it is is a it's a it's a cop movie basically mm-hmm. like um an undercover squad of of misfit idiot angry detectives <laughs> is right. assigned to run a chicken joint across the road from the mafia oh i heard about this movie. yeah and yeah, then the, yeah, and oh, the yeah, recipe yeah. takes yes, off yes, and they actually yes. have to run the joint yes and that's um, i think that's the way in now you you that's how you make a memories of murder you say yeah. oh i'll make this serial killer film but i'm going to deliver it this way yeah and i think i can see what you mean about the studios just not being interested in anything that bends the uh the yeah. existing limits of the genre but yeah, extreme job made me think that maybe you can do it, or I mean, or you know, train the son of the yeah, wedding, where yeah, take the, conventional yeah. stories and they just make them the best version of those stories by focusing on character. Yeah, and and so and obviously, yeah, clearly there's outliers, of course. Sure, but um, but I see what you mean. About but yeah, it it, it, it it has really been yeah, it, it's sort of been uh, yeah, it's been sort of tough for for sort of the emerging and you know obviously I have a vested interest in sort of the emerging uh, class of filmmakers sure. out there, and. Yeah, it's 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 really really tough because it's um, yeah, it's it's really been it's it it's been stifling and and I this is getting a little bit off topic but you know it's a very I mentioned it before but it's very vertical which means that uh you know the exhibitors are also the distributors or also the producers so because of that they have an idea of this is what the audience wants right. and so we will only make it this way and then we will you know when I it was a shock when I went to Korea. Like back, this was in the mid two thousands or something when I hadn't been there for a few years, and there was an explosion of cinemas, and they just built movie theaters everywhere, and the movie theaters were beautiful, and like they were like an experience. Every one of them it was amazing, but it was really interesting to go into a multiplex with fifteen screens, and twelve of them were playing the same movie. Okay. And it was their movie. Right. You know what I mean? And then and then the other three was Spider-Man or whatever you know what I mean yeah. so do you you're remember like, what the Korean film was or what genre it was it it was actually every film they still do oh, this to this day because like if like CJ which owns the CGV theaters they will put you know if it, if they have a big movie opening that week like literally they will play and they in their multiplexes have 20 screens on them right. 15 of them will just play that movie it's it's incredible so it's an Infinity War situation yeah it's an Infinity War situation so and you know, obviously, there's a big there's a big uh, uh, discussion and discourse right now amongst the independent filmmaking class in Korea, which because they can't get they have so many screens yet they can't get on any of them, which is crazy, you know. So because um, because Korea is one of the not one of the only, but you know, Korea is a place where people still go to the movie theaters. Like they like Netflix is having a hard time breaking into the Korean marketplace oh, wow. in a substantial way because people still go to the movie theaters. It's still there. a predominantly social act. It's, yeah, it's still a predominantly social act because, you know, it's a small country where people live at home until they get married. So if you want to go out somewhere, it's not Netflix and chill, you know, because it's then Netflix and chill with my mom cooking right. in the background. So it's that you go to the movie theaters. And so it is a communal thing that people, uh, that people do as a, social, as a social thing and they do it in droves. You know, people people really go to see movies in uh in korea so like the appetite is there the viewers are there and the theaters are there yet there there is a you know there is a monopoly yeah and so well, it's not this like- is very much off topic from memories of murder but this is my soapbox of you know just trying to you know you have a good thing and then uh, somehow it's yeah well i mean it's not like we don't know about a similar situation here in Canada where Cineplex dominates the market to mm-hmm. virtually the, well, not even virtually anymore, the active exclusion of, of other competition. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it's not a, 
like I said, it's not a, it's not a unique business practice. It's not like they invented it. Clearly, it's existed yeah. and exists all around the world to this day. But um, but it is interesting that um, a movie like Memories of Murder um, is you know from a unique mind. It's from a unique filmmaker, but it's also from a unique time and place. Yeah. I think, and and like a lot of great work, it's it's ti- it's like timing is everything, as they say, and that movie really. Um, um, yeah, just it's it it came in my life came at the right time, and it came at the right time I think in Korean cinema because it legitimized the Korean cinema to Koreans as well, which is another thing that I didn't really mention because it it, it had a festival success and it yeah. kind of had a moderate breakout internationally, but it was a ginormous success in Korea. And to that point, there weren't a lot of sort of box office successes in Korea. And you know, in Korea, they do they do it by ticket, uh, the number of tickets sold, and you know, it, it's one of the few films that, you know, got up until that point, got to the 10 million tickets sold oh, wow. uh, number, which, you know, for a country of 40 million people, that means one in four people yeah. saw Memories of Murder in the movie theater. You That's know? amazing. Which is... When was the last time that happened in Canada? For, for, for 25% Canadian, of Canadians? Yeah, for a Canadian film. For a Canadian I, film? I don't think it's ever. Right? I don't think it's ever happened, you know. Wow. Even a movie like Infinity or like some huge... Like, does 25... Does a... Does a hundred million people watch the movie in a movie theater? Probably not. Yeah. And mm. but like that's literally you know because the biggest Korean films have ten to fifteen million tickets sold, which is which is astronomical. That's yeah. That's which incredible. is which is crazy. You know, and and Parasite was another one. I think it, it capped at like fourteen million tickets or something, which is incredible. <laughs> but yeah, fourteen million tickets sold. You know, in a country with forty. So, and change million people is that's insane and you take out everybody under the age of 16 let's say yeah, I was about to you know say, and then people that are over the age of 70 you know then you're really like literally one in two people saw Parasite in the movie theater which is crazy and you know something like Okja which was a Netflix film and mm-hmm. because of the distributor uh, exhibitor conflict with Netflix you know is you know I don't know but we, you know it didn't really have a theatrical release anywhere, I guess. No, yeah. I but, mean, it played, I think, New York, L.A. Toronto had it for a week, but it was billed with other Bong films because right. that way they could... Which I saw it. Memories of Murder oh, at the yeah. time at the Lightbox. Oh, that would... Was that the restoration? No, it was before the restoration. It was before right? the restoration, yeah. I think I they threw in a Blu-ray or something. Or maybe it was a DCP of some sort. Surprised. But, yeah. I, I, um, I missed it. Uh, I was in New York for, over the American Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and the 4K was playing oh, wow. at Lincoln Center. The, and literally, uh, I went with um, Kate and I went with with uh, Polly and, and Anna mm-hmm. um, for a weird double date Thanksgiving, <laughs> which was actually delightful. But we both realized this at the same time. It's like Memories of Murder. The only screening that's playing there starts at literally as we land oh. in Newark, so we couldn't even make it. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, the idea that there was a celebration of, of the new Korean cinema and all of these restorations are coming out, which does mm-hmm. get us back to Criterion releasing this, which was yeah. just announced, which, yeah, is which is amazing. So great. Which is amazing. Um, and yeah, I have nothing but love for the, for this, for this new Renaissance of, of, of Pong stuff, because my God, he's always been this good. Like he's that's, always that's what been, watching yeah. this told me this time. Yeah. He's always been this good, you know? And, and yeah. And great on Parasite for, you know, if, Parasite for every great thing that has happened for Parasite, you know, I guess the collateral sort of benefit is that people will go and watch what else has he done. And if you go back and watch The Host or like he made a monster film, which is just like the most delightful <laughs> and enjoyable monster film you can yeah. watch, you know, yeah. like everything he does, it's just he brings a certain specificity that is very much his personality and what he brings as a filmmaker that is just so undeniable that they're just delightful cinematic experiences. You know, even though he deals with quite, you know, dark and and uh, seedy kind of subject matter. And even that film's like, I'm going into the host a little bit, you know, it's, you know, it's so funny. And like, you know, I'm sure the, I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm sure the CGI doesn't hold up at all it's or anything like that. Better than you think, because it's okay. finished on film. Right. So it still looks pretty good. Well, that's it doesn't cool. have that thing where, you know, yeah, like the yeah, midpoint yeah. digital stuff is I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, uh, I was really happy to find out that it's still. But I mean, like, the film is about, I mean, not to spoil it, but the film is about saving, like, your youngest family member, and then the movie and like, they don't they yeah. don't save her you know what I mean like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah they don't give you that you know and like I don't know it's uh, 
Yeah, and he's yeah he's always the wrapped up. They in a lot of ways they go down easy. He's not he's not making. Uh, it's not he's not a Romanian new wave filmmaker. You know, yeah. it's not Sierra Nevada or you know or something like that. It's not four months, three weeks, two days. Right. But mother's a little slow. That's yeah. like the only thing I can say against it is that it moves very slowly. Yeah, it moves really slow. It's, it's deliberately. It's, yeah, it's very deliberate. It's more. It's it's like I guess it's his version of the his slow burn movie. Yeah. But um. But he, but he's uh, but he's uh, but he, but his films are very accessible, you know, and even yeah. like he says, like that one inch barrier of subtitles, it's just like they're so, they're so cinematic that you can, you know, it's, yeah, they they they, he is, I think for me has always been, the the spokesperson for sort of what cinema and how adventurous cinema can be. And how specific to you it can be, you know, while still giving audiences something, while not being alienating. I guess that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Like, he's not an alienating filmmaker. He's yeah. very inviting. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. He, he brings the audience into his world in a way where he wants them to have all the feels. Laugh, cry, jump, all that stuff, you know. So, and I think there's something to that. And the, the way he can do it where he's like, he's not pretentious about his filmmaking, you know, um, which I also admire. You know, because sometimes you can be very self-serious or very precious about your what you do, but sure. and obviously well, he, he cares can. a lot yeah. about what he does. But he, but like I said, it's not alienating. It's not. Uh, it feels like you can. You're allowed to join the bone hive and enjoy his films. You know, like collectively, and that's really what movies are. You know. Yeah, I, I think the only other filmmaker I can even think about comparing him to is Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. who similarly just wants you to love what he loves, yeah. right? Or watch what he wants to watch. Yeah. He's not... His films are very specific, and I know people have trouble with the tone half the time, mm-hmm. but if you are open to it, if you connect to his stuff, there's so much pleasure, so much joy to be had watching those films unfold. Even, you know, The Devil's Backbone or... or um, I'm trying to think of another similar... Like Crimson Peak... He's mimic very or... dark. Well, yeah, Mimic is a monster movie, though. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more fun. Yeah. Um, the big, serious yeah, his, propositions yeah. he makes are still beautiful to watch, and you can feel the pleasure that they took in making them and realizing them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Pong's films are the same uh, yeah. in that they just they want to tell you a story, and if you sit still, you'll get it. Like, yeah. It's not hard. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think as I get kind of older, not that I'm that old, but, like, <laughs> You know, I, I really respond to whatever lane a filmmaker is working in. Just like, do am I seeing the joy of s- cinema and like what you're doing? And and even if it's a even if it's serious subject matter, where it just like the less the less labored it feels. I think I just I'm just been responding to that kind of material a lot more lately. I I, I yeah I don't know why. <laughs> no, I get Didn't, it. Yeah, but. You know, because I think there was a time in my life where th- that wasn't the case. You know, I was very much into uh, something that's like the harder it is, you know, the more like you're like we were talking about earlier, which is like the harder it is, the more the better it is in some way. And I don't prescribe to that, I think. Anymore. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> yeah. I think the longer you work in anything, the longer you spend making your own art. You the, the less patience you have for people who tell you it has to be so yeah. effortful because yeah. it's effortful enough. Like yeah. it's hard enough to just work in the industry and yes, do the thing that you do. Yeah, for sure. And not to say like you know, and I love very effort effort filled movies. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, you know, but um, but, but there's, there, the, the, there's the effort of an Edgar Wright movie and the effort of a Nuritu film, right? Like yeah, the, or or even Coron versus Nuritu. Yeah, for sure. There's yeah, yeah. the you know like these glorious intricate elegant pieces of cinema that tell stories through elaborate takes or incredible story mechanics or or, or you know complex of visual effects with mm-hmm. you CGIing people's heads onto things in order to make the story work and then there's the ones where oh well you know we ate a raw beef liver because that was the only way to really capture the eating a raw yeah, beef Yeah I think liver. there's like something that it's 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 something about a, fil- a filmmaker's like self-esteem that can work its way into a film and, and I think that's I think that's what we're talking about which is like Probably. you know when it's about when it's about something other than the work that you're presenting you know what I mean yeah. and, and, I, and I think the, the example of Inner 2 is part is some of that you know yeah. where you know his his talent as a filmmaker is unquestionable clearly like he's an incredibly talented filmmaker but 
you know, some of his work, you know, it's it's more about telling people how talented you are. Yeah. Than it's about demonstrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I think it's worth pointing out that the Revenant has the same final shot as Memories of Murder. Oh yeah. But that's it right. does not no, land for me. How about that? That's a perfect example of <laughs> one where where it feels like like the intent the intention of the feeling is successful in one. I mean, this is subjective, of course, but um, in the other one, it just feels labored, maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. like an underline. Yeah. He's got a Sharpie, and he's going to make absolutely sure you get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I never... I, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen The Revenant, but I, until you mentioned that, I didn't remember that, but now I do remember oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah, you weren't wrong. They, I just yeah, remember... This movie a, does this very often. A weary, angry sigh. That, that was me coming at the end. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so to that end, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have your own film coming out, and... and I don't think that I see an immediate connection, but is there anything from Memories of Murder that you have used or borrowed or uh, reinterpreted for, for Clifton Hill or for anything else that you've done? Um, well, there are a few films that I watch, regardless of what I'm doing, just as a way to get me pumped up about movies. Okay. And Memories of Murder is definitely one of them. But for sure, you know, th- th- you know, I try to... I try to steal through osmosis. So instead of me being like, I'm going to rec- I'm going to do my version of this shot... Um, I'm going to do my version of this shot and then trying to implement that and stealing that way. I do try to do it through osmosis. Okay. However, going back and watching this movie um, post making Clifton Hill, I hadn't seen it since I made it, but I did screen it a couple times while I was kind of getting ready or writing this movie. Um, there is a, there is a scene that kind of is exactly almost <laughs> like almost not shot for shot, but there is a, there is a framing device or a shot or blocking device that is very similar uh, in 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 something that I do in Clifton Hill, and that's in uh, in uh, in Memories of Murder, much better done in Memories of Murder, <laughs> uh, being completely uh, objective about it. But it's it's there's a scene there's a beautiful not a beautiful that's the wrong word but there's a really incredibly well crafted sequence of one of the one of the the kills or whatever you want to call it, Memories of Murder, which is. It's a woman walking down a rainy kind of uh, uh, farm path, and she's kind of singing to her, whistling to herself, and then in the background, somebody else kind of whistles. And then there's this beautiful shot where she's like looking around. It's beautifully blocked and beautifully edited in terms of like the information, how it's parsed out. And there's one where, you know, she's looking out into like this field of uh, like, a, like this grassy field, and in the background, this like, uh, this like person kind of pops up. And then kind of pops back down into the into the into the grass. And uh, there's a scene in my movie where a, a character is introduced where it's very similar to that, almost like I stole it. <laughs> and I didn't. I wasn't consciously thinking about it, but I'm sure some of it was through this osmosis. But you know. But beyond that, you know, thematically, it's a film about obsession and and uh, my my film Clifton Hill disappearance at Clifton Hill is also you know deals with kind of obsession and kind of. Uh, a pursuit of truth. Mine is more about uh, questioning if it's a pursuit of truth more than an actual pursuit of truth. But, um, but yeah, I think it's one of those films where, um, for me, I screened it before I made Clifton Hill, and the reason was because you watch it and you're like, wow. A, a couple things. I have a long way to go before I feel <laughs> like I'm a real filmmaker. But also, um, like, look how great movies can be you know and like let's strive for that regardless of how much i fall short of it it's like like i'm getting to do the same thing as this thing and like let me do it to the best of my ability and kind of go for it you know and like take chances or take risks or whatever kind of uh pep talk you have to give to yourself before you make a movie and and uh i think memories of murder for all the films i've ever been involved with has been like my pep talk movie Watch it and be like, okay, um, I'm gonna have to try really, really hard. <laughs> uh, um, but then, like, but yeah, it's I get to do this thing for a living, which is pretty, uh, which I don't take for granted. That's great. And then yeah. in a few months' time, people will be able to watch it on their Criterion Edition or channel or whatever, and pump themselves up the same way. Yeah, and and I and I really hope they do. You know. Um, yeah, because it really is for people that are in that genre. You know, I love Zodiac as well, but it's fun. Know, yeah, <laughs> but I, I love Memories of Murder, and this is the this is the best serial killer movie 
uh, out there. So yeah. for people that are into that or just into anything, that's good. There's your challenge. There it is. <laughs> My thanks to Albert Shin, whose new film Disappearance at Clifton Hill opens in theaters in the U.S. and Canada this Friday, February 28th. It's also available on digital platforms in the U.S. if you can't find it at a theater near you. Thanks also to Olivia Nasner. She knows what she did. You can find Albert on Twitter at Timelapse Pictures, all one word, and don't worry if the Stone Speakers pops up there somehow. And while the Palm Pictures DVD of Memories of Murder has gone out of print, the Criterion Collection will release it on Blu-ray and DVD, mastered from the recent 4K restoration later this year. You are going to want to own that. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>